ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog, from Fuga A to Fuga Z. I'm your host, Ian James Wright, and joining me today to discuss Caustic Acrostic from the 1998 album End Hits is Eric Smith, the host of a new podcast called Based on a True Story, that's B-A-S-S-E-D, which features interviews with bass players. And he recently had an episode where he spoke to Joe Lally, so be sure to check that out. And Eric, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me, man. This is very, very cool. Yeah, I, I agree. I always... was, I, I, we were just talking about how I think you're the first podcaster I've had on, and uh, it's it's definitely an area near and dear to my heart um, as a as somebody who's played bass in various bands throughout the years. I was very uh, apprehensive at the idea of starting a podcast because I mean, I just started it like this year. So, you know, it's, you know, very clearly there's too many podcasts. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so I, I was very apprehensive about starting one cause I just didn't want to be another one of those guys. But then it, it it's kind of one of those stories where it, it's, it, you know, you're looking for something and you can't find it. So you have to make it yourself. And I, I'm a bass player. And I, you know, I want to listen, I want to read interviews with bass players. I want to listen to interviews with bass players and they just don't happen that much. So I decided to like get, uh, get a recording device and start doing them. Cause I was just tired of not being able to find interviews with bass players and stuff. Yeah. That's very much the story behind this podcast too. And like, yeah, of course there are tons of podcasts, but the beauty is there's so many unexplored niches out there. So I think we're each grabbing one that we feel strongly about, and uh, this is a nice yeah. convergence of the two of them. Uh, tell me about your life as a bass player. Like, how'd you get into that, and who were your early influences? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I so, and I got my first bass when I was in high school as a Christmas present, and I, it was at a time where I'd been playing tuba in in like the the school band. Um, and so I was already a musician and I just, you know, it was kind of like high school. I decided I should probably start playing like a rock band instrument. Um, and it was just sort of like, well, I can play. I already can read bass clef. I already know all this stuff. So I could probably just play bass. And my grandfather actually is a bassist and he is in the Rockabilly Hall of Fame. What? Um, yeah, he's a he was a bass player with also my great uncle, they're they're both from the Mississippi Delta, and they had a they had a honky tonk band called Mac Allen and the Flames, uh, in the like the '60s and '70s, and um, that band did very well. Um, and, and in fact, one of those one of their songs is in a, a season finale of Eastbound and Down. Um, <laughs> really, that's so <laughs> yeah. cool. Yeah, so so he was a bass player, so I knew that. So that was kind of also a big one where it was like, well, it's kind of cool that my grandfather's bass player. I'll be a bass player. So I got a bass. I started playing. Um, when I first started playing, I wasn't that uh, influenced by bass players as much. I was actually try- I, um, was just telling the story on my show the other day. I, I started by trying to play along to Jimi Hendrix records, but then I s- very quickly realized that the bass players for Jimi Hendrix don't do a lot. Yeah. Um, so it, it did not become very fruitful. Um, but I, you know, uh, when I, that was around the time I was started getting into like punk rock and stuff like that. So, you know, um, I kind of learned by playing a lot of different stuff. Uh, I'm from the South, like, uh, you know, I'm from Alabama originally. So I was listening to a lot of like soul, a lot of disco, stuff like that. And then as I slowly started getting into punk rock, 
Um, you know, I, I, I'm old, so I didn't have like the internet and stuff uh, that much. So I think you're a little I, younger than me. So so watch. Oh, it, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, you know, but you know, the point is like we didn't have like it's hard to discover music. I mean, it it was just basically like whatever my friends could show me, whatever's on the radio and whatever's on TV. Yeah. So. You know, so I was like, yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, uh, big influence by a lot of pop punk, a lot of like late 90s, early 2000s pop punk, you know, Blink-182, Anti-Flag, No Effects, all this stuff. I mean, it it was all in there. It was all in the mix. I was listening to all of it. Um, So that was kind of my early influences, just like trying to put that all together. But as I grew and started like taking the bass seriously... You know, um, my favorite bass players have always been like a lot of jazz bass players. Charlie Hayden is probably, you know, my favorite. Um, but then when I found I, I, I honestly don't remember the first time I listened to Fugazi, but I remember it, Joe Lally and Mike Watt, I think, were the two where the first times I listened to those bands, uh, Fugazi and the Miniman, I was like, oh, I didn't. You know, I didn't realize you could make this music and take the bass seriously. Mike <laughs> Watt was Mike Watt was big for me in that regard. Where when I first started listening to the Minutemen and getting into Mike Watt, it was very inspiring to me to see somebody who was so into playing the bass. I mean, his whole identity is about playing the bass. You know, you go to his website; it's all all bass shit. And I, uh. You know, I that was very inspiring to me because I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know that you could like take it that seriously and could could make that as big a part of your identity. Yeah, not so, not just be a dumbed down guitar, basically. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I I would say yeah, like as I was starting to like really try to give it a go and and learn and become like my own bass player, I, I would say you know honestly like outside of the jazz stuff in the rock world like definitely lally and, and mike watt were the two big ones for that yeah probably matt freeman of rancid too like- yeah i was re- well you know what's funny is i uh i was really intimidated by matt freeman for a long time well yeah because <laughs> <laughs> when I, wh- I he was somebody when i was in high school like when i, I mean literally like the first year or two of starting to play bass somebody gave me the the rancid uh self-titled album um the first one or the 2000 i think it was the 2001 it's the one that's got the skull and crossbones yeah, on yeah, the cover yeah rancid 2000 yeah that's a great one yeah, yeah and my friend was like hey you're playing bass now i was like yeah and he's like yo you got to check out the song called axiom and i was like all right and then i <laughs> put it on and it's got this crazy the last half of the song is just this crazy bass solo and I was like, what the hell? What is this? Like, I didn't even, like, what? And I, I didn't even try to play it. I was like, there's no, I can't, I didn't even know you could do this on a bass. Like, this is too much. And so I kind of steered away from Rancid for a long time because I was like, this is, like, like, I can't, I can't, like, even match this. Like, there's no way. Um, so it took me a while to come back to Rancid. But I love, I mean, Matt Freeman is, I mean, just one of the greats. And I, I, I and I, um, and he, I will say too about Matt Freeman. He's got one of the only like signature bases that I think is really good. I didn't know he had a signature bass. Is it a usually plays like a Fender PJ some some kind of thing like that, or or is it like a P with as a humbucker? As, 
As far as I know, it's just a P, or at least it was at the time. This was a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, it's like it's like it's basically just modeled after a really old '70s P bass. Um, he had a Squire. I don't know if they ever made a Fender version of it, but he had a Matt Freeman signature Squire. Oh yeah, I'm looking um, it up right now. Modeled after his beloved and battle-hardened mid '70s P bass. Okay, yeah, it's a Squire. Yeah. Okay. It's a Squire, and it's based on the classic vibe Squire line, and I just think those are the best. Like it, for people who can't spend a lot of money on bass, like that is just like the best. I'm honestly like the Matt Freeman's like signature bass is just it sounds great. I've played it a couple times, like it sounds killer. So, um, and yeah, like he I, when it came out, there were like a couple of demo videos of him playing it. And I was just like, this is insane. Like this guy is just a complete madness the whole time. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where it's like, well, I mean, if he can sound like that on a Squire, I have really no excuse. I you know, <laughs> right. can't blame the gear that much, right? Uh, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. Like for me, I was trying to think about this as I was uh, thinking about what I would discuss with you. I like trying to remember back to those days. I actually think that Smells Like Teen Spirit was huge for me in realizing how cool the bass was. Because, of course, the verses, okay. it's just those those chugging bass notes as, right. as Cobain just plays the sort of lights, you know, stuff on the high strings. And right. that's one of the first things that made me realize like, oh man, it's, and of, of course, I'm sure the production helped also, which is just sounded huge on that song. But I think a lot of my early, like the things that penetrated my head early were like in the reggae and, and ska, um, like the nineties ska world. Um, sure. Just cause like the bass was doing so much and like you take sublime for instance, which is, is uh not a not a band that i <laughs> really continued to to like very much but at the time right. i was uh, like they were so popular and you just noticed like the the guitarist was just doing these like chukka chukka kind of like little chords but the bass was doing right. so much uh so i think that's something that heavily is like yeah those sort of reggae ska things like you know bob marley with uh uh what's his name family man barrett uh he right, was playing right, great right. stuff Another early one, I'd like to just give a weird shout out here. There was this band called Pilfers, and I saw them. They were like a ska kind of dance hall band. I just saw them randomly opening up for somebody else. I I had never heard of them. And their bass player, her name was Anna Milatmeyer. Um, and like that, that was that was one of those early instances where I just saw somebody playing the bass. And I was like, that's awesome. She is amazing. It's funny. I I looked her up uh, a few years ago. I think she's a real estate agent in New York City now, and I'm <laughs> okay. sure. Like at this point, she is like you know sees this whole thing as like a footnote in her life that happened 20 years ago. But yeah, yeah. there's still me out there like with this memory of being like 14 years old or whatever, and thinking she was amazing. So <laughs> I thought thought that was kind of <laughs> funny. Um, but yeah, nice. yeah, like from yeah, yeah. and from that, I sort of I got into much more into different kinds of music and you know worship james jamerson and people like that um sure but uh yeah and of course joe lally um i'm sure he's in my top 10 bass <laughs> players um he's so great and you know so speaking of joe lally a great coup for your podcast you got him for your second episode um and i definitely advise my listeners to check that out it was a great interview um a main takeaway i don't want to ruin too much about your talk with him but something I we have to mention here is that he said he pretty much never used his Stingray to record after 13 songs. And that really surprised me. It, like, I associate that bass so much with him. Um, so that blew me away listening to that episode. 
uh, I guess it just goes to show you that bass players can tend to sound like themselves no matter what gear they use, right? <laughs> yeah, I I was uh, yeah that whole uh, that whole thing was just like wild for me because I I had this idea for the show and I was kicking it around for a while and just kind of never acting on it, which is what I do for most things. Um, and then. I saw he was in town and I, I just reached out to him and I was like, Hey, I'm starting the show, you know? And, and actually funny enough, he's the first episode I recorded. I released it second because I hadn't gotten around to releasing it yet. And I got uh, an interview with a friend of mine. Um, and I, so I figured like, I'll do, uh, I'll do the first one that I just did. Like I released it like, you know, 30 minutes after after i recorded it or whatever and i was like well i'll put this out first i'll kind of gauge how it goes and then i'll put out the the lally episode second but i recorded that first completely like just like i i didn't know what i was doing i didn't know what i was going to do or what the show was going to be i was just like like lally's in town i have this idea i pitched it to him and he said yes and then i just you know just met up with him and did it um and the stingray thing real i mean i was like it doesn't come through. I think in the in the episode, I was legitimately like blown away. I was like, "What is happening right now?" Because this, <laughs> this, I've I've spent like twenty years trying to make a stingray sound good, and I've never been able to do it because I thought that that was what I was supposed to do because of Joe Lally, and I've never I've never liked it. I've I've never. It's like I respect people who use them, and I just cannot make a stingray sound good to save my life. And I, and I just spent so long like like trying different things and trying i even bought a uh, i have this base called an ibanez AT- atk the ibanez attack series right and it's ibanez made like a cheap supposed to be a stingray knockoff basically it doesn't look like a stingray but it's the way that it's configured it's supposed to sound like a stingray and i bought one of those because i was playing in this like metal band and I and it sounds good, but I was just like, I there's not, I just can't make this work. Like none of this works for me. And I when I finally talked to him and he told me that he wasn't even really using it on record, I was like, oh well, that makes a lot of sense. I I never was like an anti Stingray person, but I have noticed that it's one of those. It's it's an instrument that bass players tend to move away from because like the most prominent examples I can think of uh you know colin and radiohead he played stingray in the early days but then for the past yep. like since okay computer he's been playing a, a precision uh you've yep. got the uh tim from rage against the machine played stingray on that first album but i think he's used the jazz ever since then so it, i think it's yep. maybe it's like a trend where people get fed up with the sound or something um i don't know but of course think- you know joe lally used it throughout his career live it, and it definitely he made it work in that context yeah, I don't know why. That is actually a good point. I don't actually know why that is, because it's also not a cheap bass. So it's not like it's not like a beginner like first bass you buy. Um, but I part part uh, of me wonders like maybe it's a generational thing. You know, maybe people who grew up yeah. a generation before us like that's that active sound is not what a just the platonic ideal of what a bass guitar sounds like to them because it wasn't on any of the recordings they grew up with. So maybe it's a right. little different for for younger people i don't know yeah maybe i think i think that's part of it um but yeah the live thing i've read interviews with joe before where he talked about you know the reason he used the stingray is because 
they were so loud live that he couldn't hear himself, and so he would he would crank up the mids on the on the stingray because it was like that's how he kind of got that signature lally fugazi sound. It's kind of by happenstance. It was just like he would just crank it up because he's like, I can't hear, I can't hear myself when we play because everything else is so loud. Um, so he would really like crank up the mids just so he can hear himself. So kind of by accident, he kind of created this this sort of signature sound for himself but then it was interesting you know i thought it was very interesting that it was like as soon as he started playing solo i think he used his stingray for like his first solo record or whatever but it was like pretty most of the videos i've seen of him playing live with his solo project he pretty quickly started using a fender p bass and i was like oh that's interesting that's interesting he's not using it anymore and that's why i was like kind of asking him about it because i was like Pretty much as soon as Fugazi was done, he ditched it and was and was using a Fender P bass. So, mm. um, which has kind of become a theme on my show, which a lot of people I talk to are just like, like my, my experience has been I, I've been trying different gear for so long, trying to find the perfect tone, and basically after 15 years, all I can come up with is it just it always comes back to a P bass. It just, <laughs> just works so it always well. Comes back, yeah, yeah, it always comes back to the P bass for me, and it's like it's a you know, <laughs> it's like. Look, if it was good enough for James Jamerson, who am I to say <laughs> that it that it doesn't work? Before we talk about caustic acrostic, do you want to mention yeah. a few of your favorite Joe Lally bass lines? I mean, truly, there's so many. Um, I could pro- it's probably at least like half the Fugazi songs. But I was trying to think about like what what bass lines do I think of myself like. If I'm just like randomly walking down the street, what kind of bass lines pop into my head? What are the kind of because it's for me a lot of it is it's not even the most like technical bass lines or the most intricate. A lot of it is whatever's the most like which ones have the best melody or the most like musical in that sense. Um, I mean, I would be. I mean, I feel like I ha- I'm obligated uh, as a, as a member of of bass players to say waiting room. That's like a, a given. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have to. Um. Uh, I re- a lot of them, a lot of them, honestly, uh, are on argument. Um, so like, oh, uh, yeah. is a great one. That's a great song. Um, cash out, full disclosure, the kill, uh, ex spectator. I mean, all these songs are just like they're they're great lines because I because they're memorable, you know, because they're they are. It's it's like I said, I, you know, I grew up listening to a lot of like soul, like like Jamerson, Stax Records, Motown, all that stuff. And for me, what was always great about the bass was when it was like, doesn't have to be moving or doesn't have to be necessarily like intricate or hard, but it needs to be what like the thing with Jamerson is just like it's musical, you know, he's holding it down. He's holding the foundation down, but everything he does is musical, you know? Um, and that's the same with a lot of that soul stuff. You know, I mean, I think one of my favorite bass lines of all time of any band is I want you back by the Jackson five. Oh yeah. Um, sure. I mean, that's like, I use that. So I use that to like sound check every time I play a show. And it, the thing about that line is that it's like, it's, it's a weird kind of interesting line, but it's so, it gets in your head. It's musical, you know? Um, so yeah, a lot of those songs in Argument I think are where Joe really shines in writing interesting bass lines that are also in their own right musical with the rest of the instruments. Um and the same great line. Uh I love and the same. Um 
and that's again that's that's one that's not that hard it's not like a super intricate or crazy baseline but it is like it really drives the song and it really gets caught in your head because it's of, of the way it works in the song um and then i guess bed for the scraping uh and arpeggiator sure uh yeah yeah all those are like like i said those are probably the songs that stand out in my mind the most like it's hard to parse out sometimes like what I think are great bass lines versus what I think are great Fugazi songs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the bass line is so integral to a lot of Fugazi songs. Like if if you yeah. didn't have that, it would be almost it would be nothing. So, right. yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I think um, among my favorites are yeah, a lot of the ones that aren't insanely complicated but just catchy. I love Combination Lock. I love um Margin Walker yeah. is a great one. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh yeah, definitely bed for the scraping for me too. So yeah, there's those, uh, and the later ones. It's it's interesting. I guess in the the early days, I think of Joe's bass lines as more funky, and later they get more. I don't even know the word, but they're very dexterous and um, and very interesting. In if if not like as immediately catchy and uh, danceable as as the early days. Uh, so yeah, yeah. he definitely grew over the course of the band, um, but he was think, excellent from day one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is an argument me and my friend get into because I mean, Fugazi is my favorite band of all time. So I could, you know, uh, I, I I tend to get into uh, discussions with people about Fugazi, and a friend of mine that used to play in a band with me back in Alabama. We he's a big Fugazi head, so we talk about Fugazi a lot, and we always talk about like, what's the best Fugazi record. And for me, I mean, his, this is his opinion, and I think over the years I've kind of swayed towards his, is that I think argument is like, you know, I would say maybe there's probably songs on there's songs on other records that I like more, you know? Um, and like, you know, Repeater is like, you know, a, a classic album. I mean, they're all classics, but I mean, Repeater is like a real standout, but argument i think is like the culmination of the whole band i think it's like the this like great sort of like they really found their stride there's no fat on that record there's it's it's like they really kind of came into their own as songwriters and like made the best for that's like the best version of ugazi i think even though there are songs that i think are better on other records that's like as a whole that record is like the sort of the best version of Fugazi in terms of songwriting. And it's just like the mesh of everything that's good. And so a lot of those baselines stand out, even though they're not, you know, maybe not as weird or, or funky or catchy. A lot of those stand out to me, I think just because that's like, you know, that's like the culmination of Joe's time with Fugazi. And so he really came into his own on like, where, where does the bass fit in with the songs and how do I, do what I want to do playing with the other instruments, you know, and playing with Brendan on, on drums and all this stuff, you know, it's like, how do I do all this stuff together? And I think he, a lot of those lines on argument is real. Like, it's just like, yeah, like I said, it's just like the culmination of his, of his you know, however long it was with Fugazi, you know, of just figuring it all out. And then they put out this record where it was kind of like, I'm going to write these bass lines that are catchy, that, play with the guitars that 
you know, it stands out, but not too much. It's not like it's not in your face bass, but it's it's musical enough that you that it drives the song. So I think a lot of those lines stand out just because I think they is when they sort of like kind of brought it all together and brought it home. Yeah, it's super musical. It's sound. It's the sound of a band crafting a masterpiece, sort of in the studio and in the practice room. Not so right. much a band thinking like what's gonna what's gonna really make this crowd fucking move like in the early days uh right and, and yes a completely different approach it's i can't i absolutely can't argue with anybody saying argument is their argument is their best album uh like i i probably wouldn't say that myself but it's impossible to argue against that it's an amazing <laughs> one uh well uh let's talk about the song at hand today which is caustic acrostic um, just by way of uh, an introductory remark, this is the shortest song on the album End Hits, uh, two minutes and one second. I, I feel like most people might guess that it was Break, but no, it's this one, Caustic Acrostic. Um, do you have any uh, opening comments on this one? Uh, what What's the first angle we should take on uh, speaking about this? Yeah, that's. I mean, we can start with that one. I think that's an interesting way to start. Um, uh it's interesting because it's at is this is like a midpoint, I guess. I, don't, I mean, I don't know the exact timeline off the top of my head, but this is roughly like an you know a mid mid maybe second half of Fugazi's career. So I always associate in my head early Fugazi with the real frantic punk songs. I mean, you've got all these musicians who are a part of like a DC hardcore scene who are making a new band. And you you listen to a lot of like 13 songs and stuff and they're obviously doing new stuff. They're obviously doing the dubby stuff and they're, you know, they're bringing on all these new rhythms, but there's still a lot of songs that are, you know, could be roughly construed as punk songs and um, you know, uh I th- and I always associate Ladder Fugazi with the more thoughtful, musical, you know, interesting stuff. And what you know this song is interesting because it's like on a on a record of four minute you know songs you've got this two minute song and it's so it's frantic i mean they they don't spend more than like four lines on any one part of the song it's constantly changing from verse to pre-chorus to chorus to verse to pre-chorus to chorus to bridge to ending and it's like you know you never have a chance to like catch up with what they're doing it's just constant change constantly changing um and I, I, listening back to the song, I thought it was really fascinating because it's it's a very atypical Fugazi song, especially for that time period. Yeah, agreed. It's it's a little bit of an outlier, um, and yeah, it's um, hmm. the the parts of it are very interesting. It's uh, I, so I guess it's it's based around this arpeggio figure that Guy is playing. Um, I, mm-hmm. I assume it's Guy. Um, I, I, I don't think I had a chance to watch a live video or I think I tried to, I think I tried to look up live videos of them playing this and I was not that successful. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty, pretty sure that that's Guy doing the arpeggio in the beginning as, uh, and as he does it, Ian is doing this interesting thing where he's like sliding up and sliding down. Right. Almost, almost more of a sound effect than actually playing a guitar in that part um he does which, that a lot throughout the song yes um i love how that beginning riff also is almost like the guitar and the drums like just trading riffs back and forth 
It's like the uh, the the guitar and the snare. Uh, that's very right. attractive to me. It's it's a yeah. It's I don't know. It's so weird. It's like an interesting song because there is all this like interplay between the instruments. Um, and they're doing a lot in this shell that is basically like you know. It's like if if you were like challenging Fugazi to write a pop rock song. You know, <laughs> it's like a very it's like a very simple structure. It reminds me a lot of like in maybe not in sound but like in sort of feel and and atmosphere of like listening to like a husker do song or something you know oh i can like, see that yeah it's like let's write let's you know let's write this pop very structured pop song and then just like just mess with it enough until we can put it on the record you know um well i i guess you've probably heard the slow crostic demo on the instrument soundtrack right uh yeah 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 so you we get a little glimpse with that into uh, how this song was formed and, and developed right so that de- that slow crostic version that plays at the opening of the film uh uh instrument by jem right. cohen uh it's very interesting how much it sped up by the final version i guess if they hadn't sped it up it almost like would not sound like fugazi at all because it doesn't really sound like them in that in that very slow speed right yeah 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 it's yeah that's there's a lot of those demos on on instrument that are kind of like that like i remember i was really when i watched instrument i was trying to find what ended up being the guilford falls demo and i like the part that's in the movie sounds really cool and then i listened to the actual song i was like this is not what i was this is not what i wanted you know (laughs) it's like i like this part of the song i like this demo part of the song you know um yeah uh, i think almost that might be how i feel about this one i think i actually like slow crostic a little better maybe yeah it's yeah i don't know it's it's I, i i would love to get insight into the choices they made but you know it's it is sort of that thing of like, you know, writing it's, you know, I don't know that much. I haven't re- been able to read that much about like their writing process, but you know, it strikes me that maybe, you know, there was this thing of like putting together the parts, you know, I know Ian uh, used to demo a lot of songs on piano first. Um, there's that shot of them on the dumb, on the, on the cover of the demo that came out of all them all sitting around the piano. Right. Um, you know, uh, so there is sort of this this process of like writing out parts or demoing songs on on a piano or maybe just like a slowed down guitar. You know, kind of very, being very thoughtful with the parts and then kind of throwing it all together into this like very punk, you know, or rock or whatever you want to call it. Post, you know, post hardcore as they're as they're often called. Um, you know, just just sort of messing with it, making it fast, or or just kind of messing around with it. You know, because there's parts in that song I think that's like during the chorus where yeah, it's like Ian's literally just like. I mean, not even doing the not even doing the slides, just like scraping his guitar strings, you know, just making noise on the guitar. And I'm sure, um, you know, as anybody who's played in a band probably knows, even aside from the intentional choice to speed it up, like if you start playing a song, the more you practice it, it just tends to speed up on its own, right? And, uh, to the yeah. point where like you listen back to recordings and you're like, oh shit, we're playing this way too fast. Like it, it doesn't sound good this fast, you know, just the, like the more fluent you get at playing it, uh, it tends to speed up. So I'm sure that had plays a part in it. 
Yeah, I mean, when you're playing live, it's like, I mean, faster just sounds better. It's tricky, too. (laughs) This this guitar arpeggio that Guy's playing, I was, you know, picking around on my guitar, figuring out what he was doing. It's kind of a tricky little figure. It's like just a sort of three-note and then a different three-note sort of thing. But but it's tricky just the way you have to move your fingers, and it's one of those right. where you can imagine it takes some practice to be able to sing and play that at the same time at speed, uh, which right. which ended up being pretty speedy on this one. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think like I think that's one of the songs that gets at the heart of like I think it's one of the songs that I think probably gets the best at the heart of like what Fugazi was like live you know i mean i never got the chance to see them but just why i mean there's tons of videos online and it's like there is sort of a raw even for the slower more thoughtful songs it's like you know there is that sort of raw live quality to them and i think this this is a this is a song that has a lot of atmosphere in that regard of like it's totally frantic it's totally it's changing you know uh Guy has just got that voice that like no matter what he does it always sounds like he's kind of just yelling at you a little bit although in this song i wanted to mention i think in this song in particular he sounds a lot like um jello biafra from the dead kennedys uh yeah yeah, yeah. like i i think i had never really noticed him quite doing that before but in this one he's got like lots of quick vibrato on his voice where i'm like whoa that's that's pretty dead kennedys what he's doing on this one there's yeah there's like a weird he does that in a couple songs it's really interesting to me where it's like he's not screaming but he starts to like strain his voice a little bit you know just to heighten it a little bit you know um one of my one of my old bands tried to cover a public witness program um and he does that in that song too where it's like he starts to he really starts to like push his voice just a little bit so it starts to break but it's not screaming it's not yelling but he pushes that because he's got already got that high register going and so he just pushes it just a little bit he does he starts to get that vibrato and it does have that very it has that very jello quality to it of of just being this like yelly high vibrato-y voice that's not screaming but it's just like this very intense sound over the over the top of the instruments yeah you're definitely right public witness program is one of my favorite songs of theirs and yeah especially the chorus i like to walk around and that is that is very dead kennedy's yeah (laughs) i don't know why i never thought of that before yeah i mean it's it's totally true i mean i you know i don't know how much they're they're influenced by them but it is sort of like i mean when you have that kind of voice it kind of is like a natural thing to do i think and probably also i wonder i would love to know how much they played I would love to know how much went into writing these songs between playing them live together in like a practice space or a studio versus writing out all the parts individually. Cause there, you know, there are bands that write their songs by getting together and jamming live. And then there are bands that kind of like piecemeal all their songs together. And you can tell a big difference because you know, um, there's just certain things you have to do when you're playing live. You know, like I was saying, like Joe had to write all these bass lines so that he could hear himself. You know, he had to, you know, push the mids on his bass. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's interesting, like, the things you have to do when you're playing live. So I wonder how much the, the live playing together aspect influenced Guy to, like, push his voice above the instruments and stuff like that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, good, good question. I mean, I mean... Obviously, he was singing live to great effect before Fugazi, even. Yeah. So he's right. Yeah, yeah. It's a tool he's been honing for a long time. Sure. Since we're talking about the vocals, uh, 
well, let's take a stab at the lyrics. Um, I gotta say, this, oh, this is, is great. <laughs> sort of a one of the tough ones, I would say, uh, as far as lyrics go. Right. This is great because this is one of the the this is the other big track I wanted to go down. So I have a big point to make here, which is that this is, this is the first thing that came, this is actually the first thing that came to mind when I went back and re-listened to the song in in prep for this. The chorus of the song, it's I I looked up the lyrics. I listened to it a bunch, and then I actually looked up the lyrics. The lyrics are from what I can tell, mostly nonsense. (laughs) Um, uh, But the end of the chorus is, I mean, so the last two lines of the chorus are caustic acrostic spelling out your name, or maybe it's the end of the verse or something. I don't know what part of the song. Yeah, I would call that the chorus. Yeah, but that's a prominent part of the song, you know, caustic acrostic spelling out your name. And I remember like this week, just re-listening to that uh, and prep for this. And I, I, this is why I remembered the song. I knew I had thoughts about the song and I couldn't remember why. And then I got to that part and I remembered why. This is the thing that Fugazi does from, from time to time, which is that it's my favorite band of all time. And then there are, there are moments where they just have like the dumbest lyrics of all time. <laughs> like no, just dis- no disrespect. Like I said, my favorite band of all time, but caustic acrostic spelling out your name. If any other band on the entire planet did that, I would be so upset. I would be mad, actually. You know. Yeah, but- Eric. I'm glad you said that because I would say that is also my least favorite part of the song. Um, <laughs> I'm in agreement. It strikes me. So, uh, you know, I don't know how much of like songwriting you've done in addition to your bass playing, uh, but yeah, you know, a, I've a tried bit. my hand at that, and it strikes yeah. me like I, you probably know what I'm talking about. Like you're. There, there are moments where a phrase pops into your head, like caustic acrostic, for example, and you're like, oh, it rhymes. That's kind of catchy. I'm going to try to put it in a song. And like you sort of jam it in there uh, and try to right. make everything else work around it. And, you know, in the, in the cold light of day, maybe it's not a great lyric. And that's kind of how I feel about, about this. Um, yeah. <laughs> regardless of the other lyrics of the song, I'm like, it just... Even if that's not the case, that's what it it a reson- That's how it resonates with me as somebody who's written songs, and I'm like, eh, I don't really like that part. Well, what's interesting to me, I was thinking about it a lot. I when I started re-listening a song, I just couldn't stop. I just like I couldn't stop thinking about it because I was just like, they, there's a couple of songs like that. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but there's a couple of times where Fugazi lyrics start to get they start to verge on the on the on the like cornier, cringier side. Um, but what what's my first thought was could you imagine if like for instance blink 182 had a song where the chorus was caustic acrostic spelling out your name Pe- i mean people would make fun of them relentlessly <laughs> like, like you might be right like like that is like such a weird corny thing to say i mean it's very it's the very not cool to have a lyric very literally just tell you what an acrostic is yeah you know i see what you mean it's you know it's like very very not cool um but you know so if any other band is doing it i think it would come off as like this just like cringy like what the hell is this who wrote what producer in a can wrote this you know like but when fugazi does it i definitely give them a pass and i think it's because it comes off as being authentic even if i don't like it it comes off as being genuine 
Yeah, I definitely give Fugazi a major pass because obviously I love them so much. It's not the kind of thing I would ever call out unless I were doing what I'm doing right now, going song by <laughs> song, looking at all the lyrics and talking about right. them. Uh, but since right. I am doing that, I've got to acknowledge, yeah, it's it's like one of my not favorite uh, lines of theirs. Yeah, well, this has like a, been a big thing for with Fugazi for me, which is that the thing that always struck me about Fugazi was how organic and authentic it all felt. You know, um, it really felt like they were just trying to do their own thing. And I think part of like, with a, when a lyric like this comes up, the reason I think you would hate it if another band did it is it would come across as like, like I said, insincere, like some faceless producer in LA wrote it and you to just bought it from him or whatever. I think that's how it would come across. Either that or you were just trying to write some sort of catchy radio hit or whatever. But when Fugazi does it, it's like, I believe them. I believe that they wanted to write that, whether I like it or not. You know, whether I think it's bad or not, I, I believe that they wrote that song because they wanted to write that song. And I think that's, you know, it. everything they do strikes me as being authentic. I mean, that might not even be true, but that's how it, that's how it comes across to me of like, we're going to do what we want to do. That's why their music is so unique because they didn't care about anything else. They were just like, we're going to try to put together something that we like that is everybody in the band has a say in. And, you know, it, it's like, I, I think it comes across, even if it's bad as being like, well, that's what they wanted to do. You know, I, I, I so I, that's how, when things come across like that to me, I'm way, way more willing to give bands passes on that kind of stuff. Otherwise, the lyrics are not the most coherent, but they are like they are written with a very poetic facility uh, in just yeah. in terms of in terms of the way it rhymes and where the lines break. There's something almost hip hop about the the verses, at least on this song, um, like like just listen to the lyrics where the like the rhythm of lights out because I can see in the dark sidewind my way to the mark of fuse lines gas wet for a spark like it's it's a it's a really hip-hop kind of rhythm that the the like it's there's enjambment going on there's there's line breaks in places where you wouldn't expect them given the uh the content of the sentence um so it's kind of neat what he's doing there otherwise um yeah as far as the meaning it's it's hard to say like it, it, it strikes me <laughs> overall as being a song about just being really angry, right? Like, yeah. it, in general, it gives me that feeling like when you're so angry at something, like, you know, let's be honest, something these days that you read in the news that like you, it's so, you're so angry that you feel powerful. Like you could go out and just like smash the, the entire system with your fist. You know what I mean? It gives me that right. sort of feeling. Yeah, I'd have to go back and like, uh, I, I didn't go back and do like an actual analysis of all the records, but this strikes me as a very gee type of thing to do of like, cause I feel like most of Ian's songs are very narrative. They have a lot of like whole sentences that kind of tell you what's going on. Or at the very least, like if it's not whole sentences, it's just like from line to line, it's sort of more, more narrative, more of a story. And Gee tends to write the songs that are more just broken up lines that kind of, you know, are more poetic, more, you know, each line is a little different, but it, you know, maybe at the end, the meaning becomes clear, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of poetic lines, I want to call out the line pan fried fucks. Um, I like, that's the most amazing insult I've ever heard. I feel like, 
Imagine saying that to somebody. Imagine being like, hey, kick rocks, you pan-fried fuck. Like, <laughs> yeah. What an amazing thing to say. Like, I'm going to file that in my uh, in my memory banks and try to bust it out at some point, because I love that. <laughs> a lot of these lines are just like, I like it, it is, I'm, I think you're dead on here. I mean, it is sort of like, I don't even know what they mean, but it just sounds like a guy who's angry. You know, it's just like, supporters of flash i don't even know what that means who grease like cops i mean i, I sort of guess i get what that means but i don't know i don't know what grease means exactly i know that there are certain connotations but it's not very clear here but then yeah the next line is like i feel dangerous and vexed which is like kind of the whole song i think you know it's like that really reminds me of uh the aforementioned smells like teen spirit i feel stupid and contagious For some reason yeah. that line just bam, snaps into my mind when i when i read this line it is uh, kind of like, it's a very Nirvana-y type lyric thing where it's like, I'm just going to say a bunch of lines, you know, they don't necessarily have to be narrative. They don't have to go in order. It's just like, it's a lot of lines that, you know, it's impressionistic, right? It gives each line right. gives you a certain feeling and in aggregate, they add up to a, a, a larger feeling. Right. Yeah. Right. The, the line, you know, every motion just cuts too cruel. And then repeats mm-hmm. too cruel, too cruel. First of all, I want to point out that when when that happens, it sounds like uh, Guy's vocals are doubled. Which I wonder if that's like some kind of a joke about you know two slash t o o t w o. I don't know, right. but uh, that's so that's sort of a neat thing. But also, it 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 sounds like a reference to something that I can't put my finger on. Too cruel. Like that really rings in my head, and I don't know why. Uh, huh. Cuts too cruel. Like, may, like the the closest thing I can think of is that I'm thinking of that you know the part in uh, Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, uh, you know the most unkindest cut of all. Oh uh, right, right, right. Yeah. Anthony says, yeah, he's like talking about how Brutus betrayed Caesar. Um, right, right. It could be something like that. I mean, you know, Guy's a very introspective guy. I mean, it could definitely be something like that. Uh yeah, it, it's I yeah some of these lines are so funny. It's like you know, uh, swinging two son, swinging two ton second guess. I'm like I don't even I can't I don't even have anything for that one. Yeah, I couldn't even uh, come up with a shot in the dark for that. I I just don't know <laughs> swinging two tons. I, I do, I I do like the lines after too cruel where he says and the implications that you're implicated. <laughs> I think that's very funny. Yeah. But the, you know what's funny is like going back to like thinking about why the song was so sped up. I think reading the last part of the song, which goes lights out because I can see in the dark side wine my way to make my way to the mark of fuse lines, gas wet for a spark. I crash, I burn, I fully lost it anyway. I sort of feel like maybe it was a, uh, a way of contributing atmosphere to the song because I, I don't know when they did the demo if the lyrics are I it's been a while since I listened to the demo, but, you know, um it's a song about being angry and, and being very frantic. So maybe there was a choice of like, the, I mean, the song's about being angry. We got to give it energy, you know? Um, and, and speaking it, about the line is, lights out because I can see in the dark. That brings to mind for right. me the Silence of the Lambs where the part where sure. uh, Buffalo Bill has night vision goggles on and he's like stalking <laughs> Clarice. It's like, right. I, it's like Guy is imagining he's like, that's that's him. He's stalking his opponent and he's going to like kick their ass or something. Oh. <laughs> yeah, a, lo- a lot yeah. of this adds up to that feeling. Yeah, there's that, and there's also, like, the end of the song is about basically just, like, yeah, just, like, fully crash, like, fully just, like, 
going all the way until you crash and burn. I mean, you know, just fully losing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, you know, it's, it, it, it's a, it's a real big atmosphere song. Like everything about the song kind of contributes to the feeling of the song more than the lyrics telling you what the song's about, you know? Yeah. Um, I, speaking of the lights out line, also the very last line of the song lights out loser uh, I looked this up because it, it sort of stuck in my head. And Lights Out Losers is a line that is said in the Simpsons episode Camp Krusty, the first episode of season four. Uh, for you people out there, I imagine, Eric, that, you know, you're about my age. You probably uh, like old classic Simpsons, too. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> or the, like the, the bullies or like the camp counselors and they come and they're like, Lights Out Losers. Um, so. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The song makes me think yeah. of that too. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's you know, it's interesting. Like, it's 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 always interesting to me when Fugazi does a song like this that is very aggressive, because I don't associate them with that. I don't associate them with being the like aggro fuck you band as much. But they do. There are definitely times when they do it, and it always comes off very. No, I don't want to say strange because I think it works, but it's like it's really kind of takes you aback for a second, you know, when 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 you hear e- either Ian Orky like directly calling out somebody, um, you know, uh, I mean, suggestion is kind of like that, you know, and it's like whoa, like you know, it's it's a really like in your face song, and it's like whoa, like you know, I. I they don't do it all the time and other bands i think other bands that do this type of stuff do it all the time so it starts to lose some of its power but then fugazi reserves it for certain things and then it's like whoa like i didn't expect Guy to get so so aggro about it yeah um it's a. Uh, it reminds me a little bit in that way of bulldog front which is one of our recent episodes um yeah it's sort of like yeah we're calling you out um gonna kick your ass kind of a feel to it um yeah it's yeah it's very it's very like i don't know it's very jarring for me to hear gee somebody call somebody a loser <laughs> it's just like <laughs> whoa all right all right guy all right man like whoa um, you know this might be a good place to read a couple of comments from social media where i asked listeners to this podcast what they think of uh the song uh oh cool this w- one guy who goes under the name uh seldom careful doesn't seem like a real name but uh, uh this he says this is one of those gee songs where i have very little idea what he's singing about even with the printed lyrics around end hits he seemed to consciously lean into his previous dalliances with abstraction maybe as another way to repel accusations of fugazi being somewhat blunt and gnomic early on i remember wondering if it actually is an acrostic but the first three letters are lff so that puts uh that idea to bed <laughs> fairly quickly yeah i was there's only one song that I can think of that actually does use an acrostic in the lyrics. And uh, this is a good piece of trivia because I think, uh, in my experience, a lot of people who know this song don't even realize it. Uh, there's a song called by Frank Black called Speedy Marie. Do you know that song? Okay. It's on, uh, it rings a bell. I'm not super familiar with it, but it rings a bell. It's on his album Teenager of the Year. Um, and it's a really okay. good song, uh, aside from this, like, this neat thing where where the the last part of the song like sort of after the last chorus that has this interesting sort of outro section um and that whole thing the first letters of all the lines spell out jean marie walsh 
who was his wife mm. until 2003, I think. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, acrostic poems, uh, very uh, underutilized in songs, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I mean, it's, it's really difficult to do. <laughs> it's really, yeah, yeah. really tough. It's, it is something that has a lot of untapped potential, I think, because, you know, the acrostic poem is, is basically the first sort of, you know, quote unquote poem that any kid learns in elementary school, you know, and, and it right. usually consists of just one word for each line. Right. But, uh, there are, there is like some interesting value to be had if you're a creative writer and trying to write an acrostic poem that's like, you know, lines of, of multiple, uh, uh, words and that just sort of are line broken in such a way that they form an acrostic. And there's actually a real interesting form that is a great challenge called the double acrostic, where, you know, the first line is an acrostic and the the first letters, the last letter of each line is also that same word or words going up the opposite way. Um, oh, so wow. It's a, it's a very neat, you know, poem construction challenge. I've I've written a couple of those and like tried to uh, tried to get my students to do it back when I was an English teacher. Uh, so uh, something fun to try for anyone out there who likes <laughs> to dabble in poetry. Yeah, that's cool. It's it's uh, it's interesting that 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 commenter brings up Guy's past because I was just thinking about that. Like, it does strike me as a very rights of springy type of way to write a song. Um, I'm a big Rights of Spring fan. I mean, I, I, I love that stuff. But it is sort of like, I mean, it does make a lot of sense that that's the, the type of stuff that Guy always kind of reverts back to. And also, I believe, I don't know, I, I, I feel like I've read this before and I do not, do not quote me on this because I may be totally wrong. But well, I you are like being I rem- recorded right now, so be careful. <laughs> right. Well, I feel like I remember... When because Guy joined Fugazi after they had formed, not before Thirteen Songs came out, obviously because he's on there. But but they had like I think it was just Ian, Brendan, and Joe were practicing, and Guy kind of like wanted to get his way in there. But I think some of the Thirteen Songs were written before Guy joined, so some of the stuff he's singing might not be his own. And then as he starts to contribute more to his own he starts to revert back to the stuff that he's always done, you know, the more poetic, you know, more abstract type of stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. He's, um, uh, I believe we talked about this on a recent episode where his first full song with the band was break in. Um, and okay. Prior to that. Yeah. He, he'd been playing sort of the hype man flavor flav type role to, <laughs> right. to Ian's lyrics. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a comparison that, that has come up a lot with uh with Guy in those early days. But yeah, he he joined the band really quickly. I think even even at the first show, he was sort of considered like an auxiliary guy who was doing something with them, but then he was like an official member of the band really shortly after that. Um, so, right. Yeah. Well, there's that there's that there's that famous video of waiting room where they're all shirtless and Guy is just like standing to the side just kind of dancing. <laughs> uh yeah, you I, I think I know what you're talking about, but I'll have to... I think they played a, l- a lot of shows shirtless, so we, we may be thinking of different <laughs> yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. Um, one more comment from social media. Um, you know what? I don't know how to pronounce his name. Sierran O'Sullivan? It's like Sierran Hines, the actor. I don't I don't know if you... That's how you pronounce it. It's one okay. of those tricky Irish names. 
Uh, anyway, uh, he says, uh, I prefer the slow crostic version from Instrument over the finished track, which is one of the weaker songs on End Hits. Um, okay, interesting take. I think that wow. brings us nicely into talking about ratings. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? Where, we, where I ask you, Eric, if you had to rate this song from one to five stars, but purely in the context of Fugazi songs like from their weakest song to their strongest, how many stars mm-hmm. would you give Caustic Acrostic? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think probably... Here's the thing. I don't think it's a weak song. I just think it's a song that I don't care about as much. Um, and part of that probably has a lot to do with, like, it's a faster song, so there's not as much to latch on to, if that makes sense. I like I like short songs, but there's, you know... Uh, but in terms of Fugazi song, especially as a bass player, I mean, there's, you know, there's, this is not, you know, one of Joe's shining moments. Um, uh, but I think it's a solid song. Like I said, I think what's great about it is that it's a very well-structured pop song. All the parts are strong. It's just fast and, and aggro. I would probably give it like, like three stars. Yeah. Um, you're right. It's not one of joe's greatest bass lines although uh it is an example of it starts out with uh with brendan ian and gee all playing for a a few bars before joe comes in so it's like one of those songs where it's like well here's what it sounds like with no bass and here's what it sounds like with bass and it makes you just appreciate the instrument in that way Um, i do i mean i do like what he's doing i like the sort of he has this like kind of moving you know this kind of moving bass line that's kind of winding up and down under under the guitars which is cool yeah um but yeah for me i was i was trying to think of uh, like i this is not an above average fugazi song for me but i also don't think it's below average yeah i agree with you i don't <laughs> right. i don't think it's particularly weak um i yeah i think you said it it's it's a song that i don't think about it, about much but i think it's executed well i like it's a cool arpeggio um the drums are great in this song i like also i forgot to mention how at the very end of the song it's like the drums sound like a machine running out of steam or something it's just like (laughs) that's that's a really cool thing for for brendan to do um yeah i think it's a three star song for me Uh, the the area where i guess it sort of falls flat on the chorus for me like the verse it's it's one of those songs where the opening in the verse sounds pretty promising but then the chorus i'm i'm just like not super psyched about so yeah that that probably results in it being just an average uh, fugazi song for me yeah it's a it's a very like middle of the pack song it's like yeah. i'm not skipping it i'm not like seeking it out to listen to but it's done well i do i will say too like um when i interviewed joe i went and saw uh the mesthetics which has brendan in it obviously and Brendan is like an insane drummer. Oh yeah. I I don't think I mean he's always been I've always loved Fugazi and I've always appreciated the drumming, but it wasn't until I saw him live I think that I really appreciated him, I think. I mean the the drum lines are always cool in all these songs. I mean the stuff he does is just wild. And watching some of the live videos, some of the old Fugazi live videos where he's got like the big bell and he's got the guy, you know, it's like he's got all this like cool setup. I mean it's it's all very cool what he's doing, but seeing him live was like, oh, this guy's a machine. I mean, he is an absolute monster on drums. I haven't had a chance to see Mesthetics yet, uh, but I definitely would like to. Uh, that sounds pretty great. 
Uh, was he yeah. using? He wasn't using the bell uh, with the aesthetics. I don't. Yes, he did have the bell. Oh, he I did. Believe he okay. had the bell. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. He had. I don't actually remember him using it, but I know. I believe <laughs> it was there. It's nice to know it's there when you need it. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, so speaking of your podcast, uh, let's talk about yep. plugs. Where can sure. listeners find your podcast? Uh, do you have anything else that you want to plug or just, you know, how, how can people find you or whatever? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so my podcast, uh, as mentioned before, is called Based on a True Story. Uh, you can find it at, uh, it's hosted over at anchor.fm slash based pod. That's B-A-S-S-E-D. Uh and then yeah, you can find me on Twitter at BasedPod. Um or I still have a personal Twitter that's at uh E R E K underscore Smith. Um you can hang out with me there. Um uh but yeah, uh, check out the show. I, I took some time off because of everything that was going on in the world, but I just started releasing um new episodes last week and i got a very a couple of very cool episodes coming up in the next couple of weeks that I'm, I'm really excited about so um i think they're fun i think it's like p- part of the thing i try to do with the show is that it's about bass players but it's not all about bass playing um so you know we go deep on nerdy stuff gear stuff theory stuff but then also like i'm just trying to find out about people's lives and talk to them about their experiences so we try to do it all so i think it's good even for people who are maybe not bass players or super interested in like technical stuff i think it's uh i think it i try to keep it interesting for everybody yeah i second that it's a great listen and uh hey i still have enough life left in me that there's an outside chance i might yet become a, a, a bass player in a famous band so maybe i'll be on the show at some point uh there's there's always hope but as for me listeners as always you can reach me at fugazi a to z at gmail.com and you can join the facebook group the alphabetical fugazi and chime in with your two cents about caustic acrostic i hope you'll join me for the next episode when we will be discussing closed captions until then keep your eyes open this